welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. Hey church, well, we for the last seven weeks have been in a series called Love is Greater. And we're coming down the home stretch here, and we have been basing actually this entire journey, whether you've been with us all the way through or this is your first time or first time to church, which if it is, welcome, um, on this 2,000-year-old statement that even if you've never read the Bible before, even if you've never heard this before, even as I say it, you'd be like, yeah, that's true, that love is greater than everything. Because if you don't have love, everything else is nothing. Love is greater than everything because if you don't have love, everything else is nothing. And basically what we've been uh, saying repeatedly and kind of journeying through and peeling the layers on is saying um, there's a lot of other things we could set our lives towards and pursue and go after um, and how we look and what other people think of us and our career and um, what uh, wealth we might be able to amass and what importance we have in life and all of those things. But in the end, if what fueled us or what... um, we motivated us to do those things, or if they weren't done with love, that in the end, those things will not be as great to us, and that others might say, yeah, not so great in the end. And we want to be people who, in the end of our lives, people say, wow, you, you were a loving person. You loved me well. I was reading an article this week just about people who spend time with those who are terminally ill in the last days of their life. And one of the things they say is at that point, the people who are, they know this life is coming to an end. They're not interested in new experiences and travel or seeing new things or getting stuff done off their bucket list. They're not. They're actually concerned with staying close to and being surrounded by the people who have been in their lives the longest and the people who mean the most to them. And so if nothing else, that should just remind us, yeah, that's true. Like that's, in the end, that's, what's, that's why love is greater than all of those things. It's not that any of those things are bad or we shouldn't set our lives doing this, but love is the most important of all of them. And what the passage has told us, and actually what you probably know too, is it's not just um, because it's more valuable than everything else, but it remains. It's the one thing that lasts. Which is to say we kind of know intuitively that true love lasts forever. True love is the thing that remains and kind of goes the longest. And, and I want you to listen to this, um, just a few verses in this passage that we've been looking at over these last several weeks that, as I said, was to, written 2,000 years ago, but is still today one of the most beautiful, robust, practical, meaningful descriptions of what love is. And listen to the words that come out around love lasting forever. Have a listen. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Love always hopes, always trusts, always perseveres, never fails. Always perseveres, never fails. We know intuitively, again, even if you've never heard these verses before, that the true nature and character of love is that it lasts, it remains, it's forever, right? Never give up, nah, nah. Even the Beeb knows it, right? That's, that's what that is. It's, about, it's something that lasts forever. And in fact, we admire and we hold up love that lasts forever in, in all aspects of, of life. We, you know, if you hear, uh, maybe you have grandparents or somebody that you know that celebrated a 50th anniversary, wedding anniversary, nobody goes, oh, so cheesy. No, what do they say? Oh, that's beautiful. Isn't that true love? 
Um, but not just in, in sort of romantic relationships, we're talking about love in general. Um, we uh, admire, or maybe we are a part of families that have stuck together through thick and thin, through hard times, through good times, that families that have stayed and have, have a, a strong web of loving relationships beyond just immediate family, but into the extended family. We all want or maybe a value friendships that we can talk about decades of life together, memories together, hard times, good times, even times where there was conflict or distance or whatever, but things that have lasted and remained. And even in the family of God, in the family of faith, we admire, we long for, we want to be a part of faith communities, church families, right? That's what the Bible calls the church, a family that sticks together, that loves each other well, that perseveres over a long period of time after the honeymoon phase is over in all relationships, that love remains. We all know that. We all want that. And why does it seem, though, that love often fails? You know, more songs these days are about love that was lost or love that couldn't make it. One of the bands we've listened to many over many years in our house, and we've even covered some of their songs. They're so good, Coldplay. Um, they have lots of romantic love songs, but they have one that's maybe the most honest and most depressing. And it says, at the top of the world, top of the waves, we said forever, forever always. But then the rest of the song goes on to say, yeah, but it couldn't last. And then so the artist says in the end, well, at least can't we say we had fun? Hey, didn't we have fun? Right? We said forever and always, but mm, at least we had fun. Right? That's the sentiments. That the, that's the honesty with it. And not just in romantic relationships. Right? Or, or they say even like the divorce rate for many, many years was actually climbing as people were finding for all kinds of reasons. They weren't able to continue, weren't able to persevere. That they would say, well, the, our love failed or it, it ebbed away. Actually, what the recent studies have shown, the divorce rate has actually gone down in part because fewer and fewer people are getting married. And the ones that are getting married are like, yeah, we know we're in this forever. But there are many others who say forever is too great of a risk. Like love, the potential for love to fail is too high and too risky if it does. We can't engage that commitment anymore. Even for those that are married. Perhaps you'd say, yeah, you know, like you can characterize, yeah, I don't think I could say or use the word always to describe my love for my spouse or their love for me. We've experienced even within marriage and marriages that are still together where love has failed, love has ebbed away, love has grown cold, where persevering love hasn't been the dominant mark of the relationship. Just as common and often are those of us that would say, yeah, in our families, you know, we've, uh, in our immediate family or extended family, there's been fracture, there's been friction, there's been breakdown, there's been cutoffs, there's been cold shoulders. Love hasn't persevered. Love hasn't remained, you know, and in some ways we can't necessarily leave our blood relations, but we can ignore them. We could ghost them. We could try to avoid them. We could live separate lives in a sense that even within families, and I've talked to many of you is that that has been some of your experience in big and small ways. Uh, or grudges or bitterness, whatever, that has spread through in extended family circles. And so, no, love hasn't persevered. Love has failed. It hasn't remained. And perhaps even if we're honest in the church, some of us have left churches because the love ebbed away. We didn't feel like we were being loved well. Love broke down. It didn't persevere. When it was needed most, it wasn't there. It failed. Or perhaps maybe we are still in a church community physically, but in our hearts, we've grown cold, we've grown distant because love has faded or failed over time. We know this is just kind of seems to be the reality of what we're dealing with. Again, on the one hand, we think, yes, 
for love to be true, true love never fails. True love always perseveres. It never fails. And yet the reality is we experience that all the time. So what do we do? Just sort of give up and say, well, that's, that's just a, a romantic notion of an age gone by. It doesn't happen anymore. We can't let go of the idea of persevering, never failing love. Firstly, because we're just wired for it. We know at its true nature and character, that's what love is. Secondly, we know that above all things, like the scripture tells us, love remains. In the end, love is the thing we will value the most at the end of our lives. And if you're a Jesus follower, you're on the hook for this, right? Because this passage says love, true love, which is what Paul was writing to this church saying, this is what you're meant to be. Love remains. Love always perseveres. It never fails. So how do we have, how do we show, how do we experience, how do we receive a love that always perseveres and never fails? I think if we're honest, it begins with a conversation about the fact that there is something that we value, if we're honest, more than love that makes persevering love difficult. And that is, and it's something actually human beings have valued since the beginning of time. You find this in the first opening pages of scripture, but certainly we'd see it in our 21st century Western culture. And that is, we value choice over love. Choice. And if I can say this, freedom of choice. In fact, one of the ways that we define what freedom looks like in 21st century Western culture is the freedom to choose. What to wear, what to eat, where to live, what I look like, uh, who I hang out with, who I marry or don't or date, the kind of car I buy, the kind of cell phone uh, plan I have. We, we value choice on a whole number of levels. And in fact, we look at other cultures or other parts of the world that we would say are disadvantaged or... Um, you know, not in a better place than we are, in part because they don't have, they don't have the freedom to choose their elected officials. They don't have the freedom to choose where they live. They don't have the freedom to choose what they will eat. And of course, there's lots of aspects, can I say this, of freedom of choice that are a good thing. Like we value democracy. We value freedom of religion. As, a, as, as people of faith, we value the fact that we have the freedom to choose where we will worship, that we will worship in, in a country like ours. And so there's lots of aspects of freedom of choice that we value. And while um, choice you know, is important and valuable to us. We also see the idea of commitment maybe as opposed to choice because what does commitment do? Commitment restricts your choices. Commitment says when you're locked into something, right? We use that language around even our cell phone plans. If you're locked in, you're not free to choose anymore which provider, there's gonna be a penalty. Commitment necessarily involves the narrowing of choices or the restriction of choices. And so we opt for a life in many ways that is have fewer commitments and more choice and more freedom which may be fine when it comes to your cell phone or your mortgage. It's just a problem when it comes to love. And, and, and because this idea of freedom of choice actually gets in the way of love. And here's, here's what, the, what I mean by this. When choice is more important to us or one of the most important values in our life, it means that we are actually opting for a different kind of love than what's described here in this passage. Part of the limitation with understanding even this whole discussion is that in the English language, we only have one word for love. It's, it's love. <laughs> you guessed it. You win. Um, but the New Testament documents that we have in English are translated actually from Greek. And the Greek language has a wider lexical range of the word love. It actually has four different words for the word love, which actually allows for a greater understanding of what love is. 
And when we are people who value choice, we are actually opting for a version of love that is what the Greeks called eros. Now, when you think eros, we think like related to the uh, English word erotic, which we might think like sexual uh, uh, activity or sexuality. But eros primarily is sort of best understood in this idea of desire, that a kind of love that is shaped around desire. And listen to what, how Os Guinness in his book, The Call, describes um, this aspect of what eros love looks like in relationship. He says this, Eros, back then, but still now, was love as desire, yearning, or appetite, aroused by the attractive qualities of the object of its desire. Eros was love as desire, yearning, or appetite, aroused by the attractive qualities of the object of its desire. Listen, to seek is therefore to long to love and to direct one's desire and love to an object through which, in possessing it, one expects to be happy. He says, this is the heart of Eros love. And if I can say it in a, in, he's a very in, intelligent British person. Let me just say it in less intelligent terms. We love what or who we believe will make us happy. That is the heart of Eros is that we find things, and even more so people, and we believe, hey, this person, this relationship, this girlfriend, this boyfriend, this spouse, this child that's coming into my life, this parent, this uh, extended family member, this friend, this church family will love me, will make me happy, and therefore it becomes the object of my love or what I desire. We love what or who we believe will make us happy. This is the heart of Eros love. Now, there's a sense in which, like, there's no mistake or nothing wrong with wanting to be happy. I would say that that's actually just part of what it means to be human. Anthropologists would probably tell us that's part of our survival instinct, right, is to pursue happiness. And so that's not, that's just a, what it means to be human in a sense. Um, and it's not even wrong that we would think, oh, um, you know, I want to love this person, that we, would, um, that we would love someone else or seek happiness. That's not what's wrong. The mistake is that, not that we love someone else or we seek happiness. Listen, our mistake is we make the object of our love the source of our love. That person that we love, the object becomes the source of our love. And let me illustrate um, what I mean by that, okay? So, hang on, I'm just going to go over here. This is, imagine this is you, and this is the love that you have to give. And here's the object of your love, the, the person that you want to love and that you want to, in a sense, pour your life and pour your love into. And so, Ira says, yes, you are the object of my love. But the goal of that and the understanding, the implicit belief is that I will then receive, that object will love me back and will pour back into my life and this is what it means to be loved by them. 
And this is the, the natural inclination of what it means to say, oh, you, if I love you, you will bring me happiness. And so we pour our love into that person. And what we believe is that the way they act, the way they think, the way they speak, um, the way they respond to us, this is a, an unconscious thing, that will pour back into my life. That object of my love will now be the source of my love. Everything they do will fill me up again, will make me want to love them in return. And this is just what we believe. It's in a sense, it's like if scientists call it like a, um, uh, what do you call it, a, per- a perpetual motion machine, right? That these things connect. But what happens often is that person says, oh yeah, I'll give you some back. You're like, what? I, but I gave you, I, I poured, yeah, yeah, but a uh, oh, little bit more. And then, or perhaps, oh, some of it spilled out. Or perhaps there's a crack in it. There's, there's leaks coming out. Or the, the, thing, the, the thing just, uh, the person loves other people. It doesn't respond in the way that we want. Ultimately, what's happening is the object of our love is not filling us up again, is not the source of our love anymore. They're not giving back to us. And when this happens, it is hard to continue, what? To pour into them. What happens? Love runs because the object of our love, we are also expecting to be the source of our love. And inevitably, the other person, because it is impossible to love perfectly, inevitably they fail us. And so we can see this in romantic love. And we give to the other person and we love them and we shower them with words or gifts or affection. And then what? We cannot help but expect that they will do that in return. And any of you that have been married more than seven days, no, all of a sudden, wait, something's not coming back. What, what, how come they're not? And, and, or when they go through a season or they just simply can't seem to, and they're not, what happens? We start to run empty with our love. We find it difficult to persevere in that love. But they're not loving me the way that I need to be, or they're not showing that, or they're distracted, or they're perhaps like there's brokenness. Love is leaking out and not able to be poured back into you. You are not being filled back up. And so love has run empty in your life. We can see this even in family relationships, the expectations that we have of a child or perhaps with an adult child and that, and that um, the, the, the back and forth relationship is not happening anymore. And so what, what do we say? Have you ever said this? I give up. I give up. I can't do this anymore. I don't know how to love them better. I'm not pouring. I'm not going to give anymore. I can't do this. And maybe, you, you know, we've confessed that to God or in the dark or to other people closest to us or whatever. Maybe we wouldn't say that out loud because there are kids and we can't say that or there are parents or there are aging parents. And we say, there's nothing coming back anymore. Often we find this when we're caring for aging parents where they are not able or they don't know how to give. Or maybe we say, they've never known how. They provided for me. I don't know that they ever loved me. And we don't know. We don't get anything coming back. And therefore what? We run out. We run out. Perseverance wanes away. Our love begins to fail and falter. We're not getting anything back. And of course, we find this in churches too. Often we find a church family or whatever and we begin, oh, there's potential for love here, but how come I'm always the one serving? How come I'm always the one calling? How come I'm always the one arranging time? How come I'm always the one sending email? It's not coming back to me. The object of our love we are looking to, we cannot help but expect to be the source of our love as well. This is the inevitable result if we see love as eros which is almost the default position for us as human beings. We cannot help but make the object of our love to expect them to be the source that will pour back into us at the same time. 
Now you might say, BJ, that's harsh. Like, it, this seems just kind of inevitable. Or are you saying, oh, you could, never, you could never walk away even if the other person is mistreating you or whatever? And I say, let me just say, of course, there are times, and you've heard me say this before, especially in particular in relationships where there's abuse, uh, where it's not safe or wise to remain in a place that continues to give and give even while abuse is being uh, received on the other end. So that's not what we're talking about here. What I'm trying to get at is why does it seem so difficult for us to persevere in love? It's because we cannot help but see love as eros, as the object of my love becomes by default. And that's not a conscious choice. I just expect that they will pour back into me and that will continue to fuel me so that I will continue to be able to persevere in love for them. And yet the reality is we know for all kinds of reasons in romantic relationships, in family relationships, and in relationships in the family of God, love fails to return. Love doesn't persevere in return. We are not loved well away or we don't know. And so that um, perpetual motion machine leaks out. It fails. It doesn't work. If we are going to have a love that always perseveres and never fails, can I say this? The object of our love cannot be the source of our love. We actually need a different source for love. See, what's interesting is we read 1 Corinthians 13. Um, you know, love is patient, love is kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it isn't proud, it isn't rude, it isn't self-seeking, it isn't easily angered, it rejoices with the truth, it always protects and always trusts and always hopes and always perseveres and never fails. And we read that and you probably read that list and go, yeah, totally, that's love. And yet, in our minds, we substitute the word eros for that whole thing. We build our whole lives and our understanding of that kind of love on if I do that, I will receive that and that's how I will continue to be able to persevere in that kind of love. But do you know in the Greek, that's not the word that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 13. He uses a different Greek word for love that is almost exclusively found in the writings of about the life of Jesus in the New Testament church. It is the word agape. Agape, that is a different kind of love than eros. And here's how Guinness, as he goes on his book, defines agape. He says, love, agape, seeks out the person, not because, listen, the person is worthy of love, but simply because love's nature is to love, regardless of the worthiness or merit of the one loved. Agape love is categorically different than a love that says the object of my love needs to be the source of my love. Agape love is a love that does not require the object of the love to be the source of the love. It is a love for love's sake, not what love will receive in return. You might say, oh yeah, how can that be? How is that possible? How is that possible to continue to love and persevere in love even when nothing is coming back. What kind of love is that? And you're right. It is impossible. It is not, if I can say this, a love that is found within us. It is a love that we actually first learn from God. Agape love is the love of God. And here's why. Because God is able to and does love us without needing anything in 
return. Right? God doesn't need us to love him back to complete him because he is insecure and empty without our love. I mean, I know that sounds weird when we say it, but often we think that, well, does God need? If nobody loved God, he would still love us because he doesn't need us to love him back to feel complete. God doesn't say to us, you complete me. <laughs> That's not what he said. Otherwise, that would be the worst and most dangerous codependent uh, relationship of all time, right? To be in a codependent relationship with the God of the universe, that is scary. <laughs> Don't fail your side, right? That's not how God is. He doesn't need us to love us back there for what? He is able to love us for love's sake, regardless of whether we are worthy and more often not worthy of that love. There are days when I'm sure he is very proud of us and like we'd say, oh, so worthy of that love. And other days we're like, I was not worthy of that at all. And yet God's love continues to pour into us <laughs> because we are the objects of his love. We are not the source of his love. Agape love comes from the outside pouring into us as a different kind of source which is why his love, ultimately his love, is always persevering and never failing. In many ways, all of these descriptions of love that we've been looking at are true primarily and almost only exclusively about God. We can have glimpses of these pieces, but all of God is patient. God is kind. God is um, long-suffering. God is not proud. God comes to serve us. God is not easily angered. God loves truth. God protects us. God always perseveres. God's love never fails. These things are descriptions of the love of God, and we then actually need to get another source for our love rather than the object of our affection or our desire. I want to go back to the cups for a moment. Okay, so remember we talked about this, that when eros love or a love where the object of our love is the source of our love, and we say, okay, I'm going to love you, and I'm going to do everything I can to serve you and care for you, whatever, but I'm expecting, and I'm hoping, and I'm counting on, I'm trusting in that, okay, that's, you're going to give that back to me, and so that the object of my love becomes the source of my love. We say, what happens? Well, we, we can pour ourselves into a relationship to other people in our church or in our family, whatever, and then we expect, and then, hey, why aren't you giving? You're not giving me back or whatever. Or maybe we got holes in our character. You know, we're leaking. We're broken, like just like each other. And so the love leaks out. And what happens is this doesn't work. This fails over time. What we need is a new source, an endless source. The agape love of God is the ultimate source for our love. It is a love that comes from outside of us. Look, and it pours into the other person. It pours into their life. Even if, even if our brokenness is still leaking out, right? The love of God is so much more than our broken ways of loving. And we not only are receiving love, but we have an endless supply to be able to give to each other. That is what agape love is. It doesn't come from in us. It comes from outside of us. But it's this tap, this gushing, this fountain of love that pours into us so that the object of our love is filled up even as we are filled up by the love of God. Do you see what we mean? This is actually why Paul includes two other words before he says love always perseveres and never fails. He says love always hopes and always trusts. Always hopes and always trusts. What does he mean? That we always hope and trust the other person? That they're going to love us perfectly and we, our hope is in them actually returning the love that we give them? No, he's, we all know that doesn't work. 
People are not 100% trustworthy and we can't, if we actually put our hope in them loving us perfectly, they will continue to disappoint us. Who are we always hoping and always trusting in? The love of God, which is that endless tap, that endless flow of his love that pours into us and therefore pours out of us. We always hope and we always trust in the love of God in the love of God that first flows into us, that is the source of love to us, but is also the source of love through us. Friends, when we begin to experience and make God's love the source of our love, we have not only an endless supply of love to give those around us, but it is a love that grows wider, right? Because even in Eros, even when we say in relationships that work, where marriages that are really tight or families that are really tight or, really, or churches that are really tight, if that's eros love, it's, if it's kind of a, I love you, you love me back, do you know what will happen? It'll be a very selfish love. Others won't be able to get into it, right? And some of us have encountered churches like that where the love is actually very selfish. It's exchanged. Why? Because people keep loving each other, but there's no room for more. Or perhaps even marriages that are very focused on themselves, but not very focused on others. Or families that are really tight, but it's hard to actually have that love shared with friends or other people around. Why? Because it's still eros. It's still in, in the middle. But was when God's love pours in from the outside and it is an endless supply, there's no scarcity mentality. I don't need you to love me back for love to flow. What does it do? It spreads. It goes beyond. It allows us to love more. <laughs> Which is to say that God is the one person who can be both the object of our love and the source of our love. Like, right, when we, when we love God and we make him the object of our love, he has this endless supply of love that he pours back into us. There's no codependency. He doesn't need it. He says, I have more and I have more and I have more. And the more we love him, the more his love flows into us and his is a love that flows out of us. He becomes the enduring source for love in our life. He is the reason when we love others with his love that pours into us, we are able to persevere in love. We are able to touch even a glimpse of a love that never fails. Which is why the Apostle Paul says in another letter to a young church talking about love, he says this, and hope, right, in God does not put us to shame or is not foolish. Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit is the presence of Jesus reminding us over and over and over and over of the love of God that is endlessly poured into us. That's why it says God is slow to anger, abounding in love. He has an endless supply of love and God's love is poured into our hearts and therefore we are not foolish to hope and trust in him. He becomes the source of persevering, never failing love. So, what does that mean for you and I? As we seek to be people who could access this kind of source, this kind of endless tap, this reservoir of the deep, rich, never stopping, never failing, always persevering love of God. Two things. One is I just want to ask you to reflect on this and maybe ask Jesus to help you answer this question. Who is meant to be the object of my always persevering, never failing love right now? Who's meant to be the object? Now, I know there's lots of people in our lives that we're supposed to love, but perhaps there's a relationship in particular where you've, you've kind of thrown up your hands, where you've said, I'm done, I'm tired, I can't do this anymore. This has been too long, I'm getting nothing back. 
Maybe even as I've been talking, you've been thinking about a relationship. You're like, yeah, my love is faltering. It's sputtering. It's failing. Just say, Jesus, okay, who, help me. Who's, the, who's someone that you want me to make the object of my love in a new way to commit, in a sense, to love them again? It could be a spouse. It could be a friend. It could be um, a child. It could be a parent. It could be someone else in the body of Christ, the family of God. Secondly, how can I make Jesus' always persevering, never failing love more of a source in my life? Which is to say, how do I give greater access for the love of God to be poured into my life? And, and I have two small suggestions for you. There's lots of ways. One is the daily reading that we have on our site. You can find it on our app. You can find it on our website. It used to be called our blog. It's called our daily reading. And it is geared to help you understand the love of God that is revealed to us in God's word, but also in prayer through the spirit as we listen and we let God speak to us. Now, if you have another method of doing that on a daily basis, great. But I know many of us don't, we struggle with that. And so our staff has, we write on a regular basis. There's five entries every week. Jen and I do them. Sometimes we do them together, but usually we're doing them on our own. But each of us finds that so life-giving for us. And ultimately over and over what I find every day when I go to that 15, 20 minutes, I experience a fresh pouring in of the love of God into my life. Forgiveness, grace, cleansing, affirmation, um, beauty, purpose, calling, you know, energize, renewing the perseverance and the, the call that I have to be someone who perseveres and it never fails in love. This happens day after day. And so I would encourage you, give God greater access by that. You can find that on our site, daily reading at thewell.ca. Please use it. It will be a gift to you and a gift to others through you. And then secondly, this was one that kind of came out of nowhere for me just at the end of last year. Um, my family and I started watching this series called The Chosen. And you can find it, there's an app, it's called The Chosen, or you can find them on YouTube. And it's about the life of Jesus. But it's interestingly about the life of Jesus through the eyes of the people he chose, the people he loved. And so I think as I watched it, I just was so struck by, not just an intellectual way, but in a heart. I felt like I was emotionally responding to seeing and experiencing the love of Jesus for me through these stories and, and lives. And they're actually based on the gospel accounts of the life of Jesus with the people he chose and invited to follow him, ultimately the ones he loved. And so that would be something you could watch. They're about 30 to 40 minutes each. And if you've got family in the house, like younger kids, whatever, they'll love it too. Like it's so, it's beautiful, it's powerful. That's just another way, a small way of what are you doing? You're giving access for the love of God to be poured into your heart. The truth is I left the best part for you uh, to the end right now because it isn't just that God is all of these things, patient, kind, slow to anger, not proud, you know, protecting, persevering, hoping, trusting. The promise of the New Testament is that we are being transformed into his likeness. <laughs> you and I are becoming more like that. That is God's plan. That is God's agenda in your life to make you more like him. The beauty of him who has a perfect, pure, never stopping, always persevering, never failing love. And that it is possible for you to become like those things even if you are not receiving those things from the ones you are called to love. We're going to end our service today with a song. The band's going to lead us in a song called King of My Heart. Any of you heard it before? You never heard it before. It's very poetic language. One of the lines in it says, let the king of my heart be the mountain where I run, the fountain I drink from. 
And I want you to think about that as we sing it today. What is it saying? It's saying, God, you need to be the source. You're the mountain, the heights of euphoria where I run to. Not necessarily this person I'm trying to love who's not giving anything back to me. You are the fountain I drink from. You are the tap, the endless source and supply of love that pours into me. Not these other relationships. Yes, I love them, but you are the endless supply. Let you be the fountain where I run to to fill my heart with your love because you will never let me down. And so let's sing that together.